Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC family, we like to say it this way. We live, we love, and we serve. Amen. I want today to visit a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. John 6, verses 60 through 69. John 6, 60 through 69. And I want to read this from the New Revised Standard Version, as well as the Message Bible, John 6, 60 through 69. And it reads like this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is too difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is a spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In the Message Bible, it reads this way. Many among his disciples heard this and said, this is tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this and said, Does this throw you completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? The Spirit came to make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He knew also who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. 
After this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. Do you also want to leave? Peter replied, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves confident that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you, O Lord, and we honor you, O God, for this day, this moment. We pray, O God, that you will continue to enliven us, inspire us, and even instigate us, O God, in a way that pushes us, O God, to be the best versions of ourselves, the best versions, O God, so that we not only show up for you, but, O God, show up for one another. There is so much pain and grief in this world right now. We know, O God, that you can give comfort. God, for some of us, we're waiting for marching orders as we proceed to navigate through this stormy and tumultuous terrain. Have your way, God. Have your way. Have your way. And it is in your name we pray. Amen. 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 I want to read just a portion of that again in the Message Bible. After this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the 12 their chance. Do you also want to leave? Peter replied, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. This morning, I, I want to preach from this thought, simply life words, life words. I've learned in my journey thus far, not just as a pastor or a believer, but as a human being, that you have to have an amazing ability at times to discern not just what people say, but the intention behind what they proclaim. That there are times when you have to listen and discern enough at times to hear and then sense that sometimes what people say doesn't always match with what they really desire. Because there are some people who may speak kind words but have an intent that is disconnected from kindness. I love that idea because it pushes us as believers to always be mindful that, well, no, not as believers, as human beings, to always be mindful that there will be people among you who may sound right, speak right, but their heart is in the wrong place and their spirit is in the wrong space. It was such a scene in the sixth chapter of John's gospel. Jesus had 
fed over 5,000 people on that day on the hillside, on that particular day, as recorded in John 6. Jesus had just finished teaching and was now about to teach again, had just finished performing what some would call miracles, and now was about to teach, but he perceived that the people on the hillside were hungry. So he asked one of the disciples, where will we get food to eat? The writer of John said when Jesus asked one of the disciples, Philip, that he knew in his mind that what he was going to do, but he was wanting to hear what Philip would say. And he heard from him at that moment, said, listen, we don't have enough food. We don't have enough resources. But then one of the other disciples, I believe it was Andrew, said, but hold on, there's a young boy here who has five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish. You may have heard this story. And he blesses it. He gives thanks. And as the disciples distribute, which is a powerful point in the story, in the distribution, the multiplication takes place. As they were serving, it grew. The more they served, the more they had. And so he does that. When Jesus finishes serving and multiplying, the people are ecstatic. In fact, the scripture says that Jesus then sought to get away from them because he had perceived that they wanted to make him a king. He gets away because he knows that they want to now elevate him. And the truth of the matter is I'm convinced that Jesus knew that what he had done was so awe-inspiring that there will be people who want to now elevate him to a place he was not seeking and thereby undermine the nature of his work. So he goes with the disciples and the disciples go across the sea. And he tells the disciples to go on ahead of them. And as the disciples are going across ahead of Jesus, After about three or four miles, it says, away from the shore, they see Jesus walking on the water. And they're terrified. He said, do not be afraid. And just at that moment when they were beckoning Jesus to get in the boat, they had already arrived at the other side. He walked with them on that water, the Bible says. He fed 5,000. The disciples witnessed him walking on water. The people are after him. Because they see the miraculous, transformative, and expansive power of God working through him. And so when Jesus gets to the other side and those others, the members of the crowd who are looking for him, they get down to the shore. They knew that the disciples had taken a boat and they knew Jesus was not with them. And they were wondering how in the world did Jesus get to the other side. And so they went to the other side where Jesus was. And when they get there, and here's the part I like, they raise this question, Jesus Where were you? We were looking for you. They were voicing concern as if they were trying to wonder what happened. Why did you leave? But Jesus perceived that their words of perceived concern were not about concern. That's why you got to be careful how you listen to people. Because the words they speak, which might seem harmless, may have a different intent at times. And Jesus said, let's be clear and let's cut to the chase. You are not here. Because you saw signs. But you are here because you had a free meal. You ate until you were full. That's why you are here. Do not work for the word or the food, rather, that perishes, he tells them, but for the food that gives eternal life. Then listen to what they say to Jesus. Well, our ancestor 
Moses gave us manna from heaven. What sign will you perform? You need to hear this. He has just multiplied five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish to feed over 5,000 people. And now they come to him and say, Moses gave us manna from heaven. What sign will you perform? Well, two things before I move on from that. One, if you know the Old Testament, that story, manna was like a coriander seed, a seed really, and they would have to pound it and ground it into flour, and then they would add oil to it, and they had to make it, bake it, cook it. It was not bread from heaven. It was seeds that were falling, and the Scripture says that they had to ground the seed, turn it into like flour, add oil, and bake it. They were celebrating in that very moment what Moses had done that involved work on behalf of the people. And they missed the fact that in their presence, Jesus had fed them, and all they had to do is sit and eat. And they are looking for a sign compared to what Moses had done. Here's what I want to drop in your spirit as I move on. There will always be people in your life whom for no matter how much you do, it's never enough. There will be people you will know in your life, no matter how much good you try to do, no matter how much you try to be good and be kind and show love and demonstrate mercy and show grace, it will never be enough. And what happens at times is that we begin to lose our energy and use our strength to try to get the affirmation of people who no matter what we do, it will never be enough. I know you've experienced that in your life, and sometimes it's hard because the people whom you are never enough for are the people you wish that you were enough for. I hope you get that. Sometimes the people that you are never enough for are the people that you're often trying to get their validation and affirmation and even their love. But you need to understand that there will be some people along your journey that no matter how much you do, no matter how much you give, it will never be enough. And they'll find one more reason to be upset, one more reason not to believe, one more reason to be angry. And that's why at times you have to learn to protect your own sacred space in your mind. And you have to sometimes engage in such radical self-care that you don't deplete yourself trying to prove yourself or gain the affirmation from people who no matter what you do, it's never enough. When Jesus realizes this, he says, here's the problem. When you talk about what Moses gave you, when Moses gave that bread, they ate, and the people died. Not from the bread. I hope you watch what Jesus is saying. Read the chapter. He said, but what I am coming to do, through this word that God has given me, if you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you will never be thirsty. I am, he says, the bread of life. Come from God, from heaven, unto you. Don't desire the things of this world and miss the things from God. This bread that I have, come down from God, is not 
the things in which you die from, will they give life? He drops those words in his spirit, and then immediately it says that the Jews, the religious leaders, begin to complain among themselves. What kind of talk is this? How could he come down from heaven? Isn't this Joseph's son, whose father and mother we know, they are confused by what he's saying. He continues on that you must eat of this bread, and if you eat of this bread, you will live eternally. If you take of this bread, if you eat of it, and then he shifts, if you eat of my body, drink of my blood, you will have eternal life. The Jews began to dispute among themselves. Is this man saying that we must eat his flesh, that we must drink his blood? What kind of madness is this? They are missing everything, missing the entire point. They have literalized what Jesus is trying to say, and what he's speaking of is not flesh and blood, but the word and spirit that comes. That is what gives life. And they missed it. But man, there will always be people who will miss what God is doing when their agenda and their thoughts are shaped by their own selfish desire and intent. There will always be people who will miss the move of God because all they can see is what they want, but not actually what they can receive. They thought this conversation was about him being bread and eating of his body and drinking of his blood. His bread, his body, the blood he spoke of were the words, the teaching, the life that will give them eternal life. But not this notion of not dying, but the expansion of human possibility. I hope you get this this morning. For that is what he comes to show. I know for some of us, we think it's about these other things that we have made Christianity out to. But what good is it to have rituals and ordinances and practices, but we see our lives as depleting? The expansion of possibility is the life that Jesus gives. But there were those among, not the people who were antagonistic towards Jesus, but the ones who claimed to even believe Jesus, who said among themselves, This is too hard to digest. (laughs) This is too hard to take. Jesus said, does that offend you? What's going to happen when you see the Son of Man ascending to where he came from before? And then he makes it clear. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But in spite of doing that, There are still some among you, he said, who still do not believe. I know in that moment, Jesus had to be hurting. You see, when you spend so much time pouring in to people who are with you all the time, and yet still don't get what you're trying to say. Who are there, present, show up, but not listening. Who no matter how much you teach, and no matter how much you tell, and no matter how much you preach, and no matter how much you teach, and no matter how much you tell, and no matter how much you preach, they don't fully get it. I have to remind some of my colleagues sometimes who do this work that they can't get frustrated with people who don't always understand or people who just don't get it or people who come and listen with their own intention and their own desire so they never fully hear your words because all they want to hear is the things that are going to affirm what they already believe and know, think they know. 
And so they never hear the possibility that something new is breaking out, that God is up to something new. Can you imagine in Jesus' day, this is what Jesus is doing. He's bringing something to them that is new, that is different, that they've not heard before. This is why he's always challenged by religious leaders. And their minds are so stuck on certain traditions and certain ways of operating that they do not hear what Jesus is actually saying. And they miss the depth of what he's saying. And they miss the kingdom language. And they miss the life he's giving. And they miss the words that he speaks. Although they are in the number, they are in the mix, they are in the church, they are in the pews, they watch online week in and week out and still don't get it. I know that frustration. I know that burden. I know that agony. When you give your life essence, and they still don't get it. In that moment of frustration, I can see Jesus. He has to watch those who are with him leave him because they really didn't believe in him. And he turns to the 12, and he says, do you all want to leave too? I can feel the pain. Do you all want to leave too? And here comes Peter. Master, to whom will we go? Where will we go? You have the words that give real life, eternal life. You have life words. When Peter says that, when I read it long ago, came across this passage, and even now, as I think about it, it still moves me. Here is Peter, who has seen his own mother-in-law restored. He, he's seen people who are blind receive sight. The lame walked. On more than one occasion, he saw thousands of people fed with limited resources. He witnessed Jesus walk on water. And when Jesus asked them if they wanted to go, and you have to watch this, Peter does not reference any performance. He does not reference the miracles. He does not reference the feeding. He does not reference the restoration of sight. He does not reference the restoration of limbs and life. He, he said, your words. You have the words. Not the performance, but you have the words that give eternal life. It is dangerous when you're in this vocation, and I speak now to a very particular group of people, and you are reduced to gimmicks and tricks and performances because you don't trust your words. When you got to put on a show because you don't trust the words. When you feel and every time you declare this gospel and these words, if it ain't performance-based, it ain't effective. Jesus says, no, you want to see signs. 
but you're missing the words. Peter understands that what gives life are the words that empower, that strengthen, that give hope, that restore peace and love and joy and happiness. Those words, the power of life and death are in your words. Tricks come and go. Gimmicks are fleeting. And there are too many people acting in pulpits. But the words we have give eternal life. That's why you cannot be reckless with your words and take your words for granted. Your words give life. And there are people every week who are hanging on the edge of what comes out of your mouth. So the question is, do you have the lights? Do you have the cameras? Do you got the technology? Do you have the words that give life? Life words. Don't tell me what you do. Only let your actions be in alignment with your words. Let your words be in alignment with your action. There are a whole lot of Christians who say the right label but got the wrong words. Because you can't walk in the footsteps of the carpenter and not understand the profound responsibility of all of us in this journey. The responsibility we have with the words we use. Peter, it sounds almost like poetry. Where will we go? He recognizes that there is nowhere else he can go that he is aware of that can do what he's experienced. Peter understands what Jesus is saying. Jesus explained what he meant to the disciples, and there was still some who left because it was too tough, too tough to swallow. Oh, my God. I get a little weary of Christians who often look for easily digestible words. Sometimes the words cut us, and sometimes they convict us, and sometimes they push us. But those words that come from the teacher, from the rabbi, from the carpenter, are words that lift and empower and strengthen. Because who is he dealing with? Who is he talking to? People like him who are under Roman rule and Roman oppression, who are living on the margins of their life, who have been already oppressed and beaten down by the empire. He's speaking to them. And those people who are wounded and damaged and broken and damaged and wounded and broken, those people in his presence. Yes, they saw sight restored. Yes, they saw people walk again. Yes, they saw the lame get up. Yes, they saw even the dead come to life. Yes, they saw people heal. But it was not that that got it. Peter said, you have not the tricks. You have words that give eternal life. Not will give when we go. Right now, you have the words that give eternal life. And if you claim to lift up the carpenter in your singing, in your speech, and in your prayers, would you reckless with your words? You need to assess your alignment. Peter got it. 
your words give eternal life. When you know what God has given you, like Jesus shows us by example, you don't live your life proving to no one. Because when you spend your days trying to prove to people who you are and trying to prove your, your worthiness to people who won't see you no matter what you do, you'll lose your mind. Because it has to come a point along your journey when you're surrounded by those people, challenged by those people, even tested by those people, before you waste your energy, here's what you say, my mental health matters. It matters so much that I will not lose my mind trying to please, please people who are already clearly insane. Here's why this is important. And I'm done. My heart grieves. My soul aches. And this past week has been a moment, just a moment, where I found myself saying what comes to those of us in times when weariness and fatigue grab hold of us. How much longer, God? I know it is not the question we ought to raise at times. I get it. But again, sometimes when weariness and fatigue grab hold, when, when, when you see the senseless murdering of, of, of Dante Wright, and it's not just that. It's episode after episode after episode after episode after episode after episode ad nauseum, or as it would say, ad infinitum. It just keeps on going on and on and on and on. Your spirit gets weary. You get tired. You get angry. You get frustrated. Someone sent me a caption, and I, and, I, and I may mess it up, but here, here's what I remember. It said, if it's okay for trained police officers to panic and act on impulse, why is it not okay for untrained civilians to panic with a gun in their face? When I saw that episode this week, and I'm actually going somewhere with this, it wounded me again. Because in that moment, when the anger dies down, and the frustration simmers a little bit, the question is not, when will this happen again? The question is, what will we do? 
Now, I know that's a big question, and, but here's what I lean into. Every time I get discouraged and I feel a little depleted and a little weary, I lean in to those organic theologians who were teaching in the brush harbors, who, 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 who after being brutalized, battered, literally stole time. They had to steal away, go down by the river. And in that space, that sacred space that only became sacred because they were present and it only became holy ground because their feet were touching it. They started deconstructing the colonized Christianity they had been preached to and realized that there was something wrong with what they had been told and, and with their unsophisticated, untrained selves cut through the minutiae of theological rhetoric and said things like, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. They understood that there was a radical disconnect between what they were being told by the slave preacher and what they heard for themselves through God. And in that space, being tortured from can't see morning to can't see night, being a possession, chattel, life not your own, still made to work and found a way to reap. I mean to reap. Can you imagine the kind of courage it took to reproduce in the midst of cultural insanity? They did not commit suicide. They did not stop producing. They did not give up. In the most brutal of spaces, they found a way to lean in to God and lean into what they had heard from their brother because they said, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. And although they were being brutalized and tortured, they kept on repeating the words that gave them life and hope to see another day. They believed in the freedom they would never see. They believed in a day they knew they would never see. They believed their children or their children's children or their children's children's children would one day be free. They used those words and those words gave them life while they were bleeding, life while they were being tortured, life while they were being raped, life while they were being castrated, life while they were being lynched. They used those words and they gave them life. And you trying to figure out what to do? Use your life words. Speak life. Because with all the insanity and all the white supremacy and all the police brutality, there are still children who need to hear your words. There's still communities who need to hear your words. Speak the words that give hope and speak the words that give life. And then once you speak the words, make sure your actions are in alignment with your words. Because what the carpenter taught us is that in the midst of oppression, you still got to build community. In the midst of terror, you still got to build community. That's what we have to do. There are ways and mechanisms we pray that justice is done and served. But while the powers that be and while justice is slowly churning itself, we must have and give 
the words that have hope and give hope to build our community, to build our children, to restore hope. You can't get so weary that you give up when somebody that looked like you refused to give up. Bloodied, but un un unbowed. Wounded, but still refusing to go away. That's the legacy. So there's some people who may not be made for this moment. Especially when you forget that you bear the responsibility of giving the words that give eternal life. Eternal life. We still have work to do. Let us pray. God, we thank you today. There's so many, oh God. Tired. How many more black and brown bodies must we see terrorized and brutalized? This is not episodic in this country. It is part of the very fabric of this country. But God, we know that that fabric is bloody because of so many lives that have been senselessly lost. But God, you remind us the teachings of your son that it is possible to mourn and move to grieve and go, to be wounded and work. But God, we have work to do. The truth is, oh God, if we stay stuck in our misery, then the terrorizers win the day. But oh God, we lean into the strength you've given us, the power you've given us. We realize that we must be about life words, and with life words come life action to build, to uplift, to empower, to strengthen. But there are still those in our community who are hurting, not because of brutality alone, hurting from homelessness and poverty and hunger, hurting because they see no value in their life so they don't care about other lives, hurting they're suffering from psychological and physical abuse, hurting 
that's suffering from abandonment and estrangement, hurting. Because, oh God, the truth is that in this country, if you're black or brown, there's no way that you don't live daily with PTSD. So, God, we come not asking you to perform, but at times to remind us of the words that give life. Remind us of our strength. Thank you. For the moments where you push us into our memory. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.